بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله and welcome to this podcast series of a commentary on Nahj al-Balagha by Mizan Institute. وَاسْتَأْدَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ الْمَلَائِكَةَ وَدِيعَتَهُ لَدَيْهِمْ وَعَهْدَ وَصِيَّتِهِ إِلَيْهِمْ فِي الْإِذْعَانِ بِالسُّجُودِ لَهُ وَالْخُنُوعِ لِتَكْرِمَتِهِ فَقَالَ عَزَّ مِنْ قَائِلْ أُسْجُدُوا لِآدَمَ فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسِ Continuing with the story of the creation of Adam a.s. This part of the khutbah speaks about the interaction or the first time that the angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encounter Adam after his full creation and after Allah has blown his soul into uh, Adam alayhi salam. And of course we explained uh, what is meant by the breathing of God's soul into Adam, the different opinions there. Okay, so it says that then Allah asked the angels to fulfill his promise with them and to accomplish the pledge of his injunction to them by acknowledging him, meaning Adam. Acknowledging Adam through prostration to Adam and submission to his honored position. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is now holding the angels up to the promise that was made, it says here. And so Allah tells them, be prostrate towards Adam and they prostrated except Iblis. Iblis. That's what the Quran says. Okay, so we have something here to talk about and that is, it says, Subhanallah, Subhanahu wadi'atahu." There's a promise, there's an oath that was made, it seems, beforehand. It's uh, sounding like when Allah uh, finished the compl- and completed the creation of Adam, السلام, He kind of reminds the angels as if, Hey, we had a promise, we had a deal, now it's time to fulfill that. Okay, so what is it talking about here? What is it implying here? It's implying that before the completion of the creation of Adam السلام, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had told the angels, informed them about something like this happening, had told them about Adam uh, being created. And uh, we do have another verse in the Quran that also hints at this. The fact that it's not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam and all of a sudden put him in front of the angels and the angels had no clue what's going on had nothing in mind from beforehand to expect something like this. No. As a matter of fact, the verses of the Qur'an imply that there was a discussion, a conversation, if you may, before the creation of Adam, get as if preparing the angels for this moment. What's that verse? The verse is in Surah Sad, uh, verses 70 and 71. إِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي خَالِقٌ بَشَرًا مِنْ طِينَ فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِ فَقَعُوا لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ These verses very clearly are implying that there was something going on before the completion of the creation of Adam salam. That it's not that God just created him and all of a sudden placed him in front of the angels without any prior knowledge of them or expectation of them of this happening. So the verse speaks of a time where Rabbuka, Qala Rabbuka Lilmalaika, your Lord told the angels, Inni Khaliqun, verily I am going to create Basharan min teen. I'm going to create a human from teen or clay. Fa'ida sawaituhu, when I have proportioned him, when I have blown into him of my spirit, Faqa'u lahu sajidin. I want you to fall in prostration to him. So it's as if before all of this happened, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had this conversation with the angels, telling them, hey, this is going to be happening when the time comes, I want you to do this. Okay. Now, here there are some opinions um, that hold that an in, in, in explanation to this matter. Why would Allah let them know beforehand or quote-unquote prepare them for that moment? Some have explained because if Allah had not prepared them for that moment and gotten a promise from them, there might have been a chance that they were they would be so surprised of this command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of prostrating to Adam that they might have not even obeyed Allah in this command or might have been slow to obey Allah in this command. Now, this is one opinion that's out there. Um, some might argue that angels don't have the opportunity, don't have the capability of disobeying God. When God gives them a command, they will obey no matter what. And so that some might refute this idea that God wanted to prepare them so when the time comes, they're not slow in obeying Him. In response to that, some might say, the ones with the first opinion might say, yeah, they will always obey God, but they won't question before. They won't take too long in obeying if they've been prepared for this beforehand. If God has not prepared them, then they might ask so many questions that it might put, it might just defeat the purpose of the prostration to begin with. God is preparing them so that when the time comes, they do what they're supposed to do right away. Once again, others might refute this idea and say, who says angels can question God, can uh, prolong the obedience of God, put it off uh, long enough for it to defeat the whole purpose. Anyway, it's a back and forth kind of discussion that can be had here regarding um, or based on what your opinion is on angels and how their obedience to Allah is. I will say this, that a mainstream, um, at least my understanding of the mainstream of scholars is that angels can't disobey God. And when God commands them, they will do it without question. They will obey without question. They might ask questions. But brothers and sisters, asking questions is one thing. Questioning is another thing. They might, as the verses of the Quran in Surah Baqarah say, that the angels did have some inquiries. They had some confusion. They asked God about it. And God explained to them, Inni a'lamu ma la ta'lamun. I know that which you do not know. Because they asked, oh, are you, are you creating a being that will spill blood and all of this while we are the ones who are already glorifying you, doing your tasbih, doing your praise? So why do you need to create this, this being? Now, of course, mind you, brothers and sisters, they didn't question the, uh, the prostration part at all. That's what's important here. Okay, They might have asked questions, but when there is a, a command you won't see them questioning at all in that story. This is something to keep in mind. Anyway, the point of the story, though, is to highlight how there was one person who did not, or one being that did not prostrate when they were all ordered to prostrate. We all know the story. فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسِ They all prostrated, except for Iblis. Now, someone might say here, maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had prepared the angels for this moment, not because there's a chance the angels might disobey him, but rather because amongst these angels was a person or a being by the name of Shaitan, back then who was called Iblis. He was one of the jinn. He was not one of the angels according to the Quran. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might have been preparing Iblis that was amongst the angels. Allah addressed all the angels. Shaitan was one of them. So he addresses the whole crowd, so to speak, 
But his real addressee, his real target is shaitan, is iblis, to prepare him for this sajda. So that he doesn't fail the test. That's also maybe an opinion out there that just came to my mind right now. I haven't read it anywhere, but that can be an opinion it seems. That Allah did all of this, all this preparation, just so that Iblis doesn't fail the test, although he knew that the angels will prostrate without any questions asked. Okay. What was the problem with Iblis? اعترته الحمية غلبت عليه الشقوة وتعزز بخلقة النار واستوهنا خلق الصلصال Three or four things that are mentioned here. The problem with shaitan was, and of course I keep saying shaitan, but this is before we, before he is uh, referred to as shaitan, Iblis. The problem with Iblis was, What took over him was, was, now here the translation says, self-importance. To feel like you're something special. To feel like there's something better than you over the rest. Okay, Arrogance, let's say, you can call it. Because in other literature we'll find that the, the term takabbur is used for shaitan. The kibriya took over him. Takabbur took over him. So all in all, what we know for sure is that him feeling very special, the pride and arrogance that he had, it withheld him. Now one thing I want to say about this hamiya here, uh, which they say means takabbur, arrogance, pride, it also comes from the, originally it comes from al-hami. Hami means heat they say and so some have explained how it wasn't just his pride and arrogance it was anger as well anger that when you get angry it's as if your boil your boil your blood is boiling and you're hot on in, inside it's as if he he felt so proud of himself he felt so good about himself he felt that he's so special that no one else is better than him that the when the moment he's told to prostrate it's as if it triggers him it's a it's a, an arrogance that he has and he's also been triggered now, so he's angry out of arrogance. And that kind of thing has also kind of been hinted at in some of the translations and tafsirs of this part of the khutbah. Anyway, What overtook him? What overtook him was shikwa. Shikwa means wretchedness. Now this is not an inherent wretchedness that he was created with, of course. When it says shikwat overtook him, shikwat overtook him in this in this context means that the evil that is stemming from his own voluntary actions and decisions, the bad choices he's making, to overtook him. So he has all of us have the potential for good and the potential for bad in us. When we make the decision to do bad instead of good, our shikwa has overtaken us. Not a inherent shikwa that we're created with as some might uh, falsely perceive, but rather the shikwa that is voluntary, that is stemming and originating from our own actions. For example, in Surah Mu'minun, verse 106, we have something similar about the people and what they're saying. Those who are wretched on the Day of Judgment who will say, رَبَّنَا غَلَبَتْ عَلَيْنَا شِقْوَتُنَا وَكُنَّا قَوْمًا ضَالِّينَ Oh Allah, our wretchedness overtook us. Here, no one's going to say, oh, a, a wretchedness that was inherently they were inherently created with. No. Our shikwa, our wretchedness overtook us. Meaning what? Meaning our potential to choose wretchedness was actualized by us. And that overtook us. We became wretched as a result. As a result, We are, we were uh, misguided. We were a misguided people, a misguided lot. No one here will say, Oh shikwa, 
evil. We're, we have an inherent evil in us that overtakes us if we're not careful. No, you have the potential for evil, just like you have the potential for good. As a matter of fact, the potentially being good is not possible unless you can potentially be bad. This is something to keep in mind for those who might question God's justice. Why do we have the opportunity to be bad? Because we are in this world to be good. The only way we can be good and choose good is if we can also choose bad, brothers and sisters. That's something to keep in mind and to think about. Okay, so here it says that his shiqwa overtook him. The wretchedness. Now this wretchedness comes in the form of hasad and jealousy in the story of Iblis, we can say. That we all have wretchedness in one way or another. When we sin, when we do something wrong, or we have a problem within us that we have not addressed and fixed, that wretchedness of ours comes out in that form. So in the, in, with shaitan, because he's so arrogant, the moment he is told someone else is kind of better than him, oh my God, it takes overtakes him. The jealousy overtakes him. His wretchedness is showing itself through his jealousy. So as we all know, the story goes on. Iblis says, no, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. He asks Allah for a little bit of respite. Not a little bit of respite. As a matter of fact, he asks him, asks him for as much respite as possible. I'm not going to prostrate. And of course, other verses of the Quran have spoken of some of the details of the quote-unquote conversation between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Iblis here. And how Iblis vows to um, uh, misguide other people, etc., etc. Alright, so here, Shaytan is going to ask for the biggest thing he can. He's going to go to the full extent of what he can request. And he says, Oh Allah, grant me respite until the day they are resurrected. I want to be alive till then. Now Allah responds to him, فَأَعْطَاهُ اللَّهُ النَّذْرَةَ or النَّذِرَةَ إِسْتِحْقَقًا Allah gave him, Allah gave him this respite. But we have to see, is it exactly the amount that he asked for or is it something different? But for now, before we get into that detail, it says Allah gave him that much time. He gave him a good amount of time, granted him respite. Istihqaqan lil-sukhta, number one. Or some might read this as sakhta. Number two, istitmaman lil-baliyah. Number three, injazan lil-idah. So for three things, for three reasons, Allah granted him respite. Number one, istihqaqan lil-sukhta. He was deserving of wrath. So someone might ask, if someone is deserving of wrath, why grant them what they ask for? Well, what was he asking for? He was asking for extra time before he is destroyed. For some that Allah loves, this might be a blessing. But for those Allah dislikes as a result of their own actions, this granting longer life, this granting respite is not actually a blessing. What is it? It is an opportunity and more of an opportunity to commit more disobedience and sin. Shaytan, when he asks for respite, he says, I'm going to misguide all of these people, except for a select few. When he asks Allah for that, is he asking for time so that he can make up for the past mistakes that he made? No, he wants to do more wrong. So here, because he is deserving of Allah's wrath, Allah gives him more time, gives him more life, let's say. So this is actually in accordance with Allah's wrath towards shaitan. This is not a blessing for shaitan. And guess what? Brothers and sisters, I am 100% sure personally that shaitan knew 
that the more time he has, the worse it is for him. But once again, you see this jealousy causes issues for a person. A person who becomes jealous in this way doesn't think straight anymore, doesn't look at reason to determine which way to go for themselves in their life. No, for them, it's all about just as if extinguishing that fire of jealousy and arrogance that has been uh, set ablaze within them. Somehow extinguishing that, and to extinguish that, they will do anything it takes, even if it's against themselves. So now here it says, number one, istihqaqan lil-sukhta. Number two, istitmaman lil-baliyya. Number two means that is saying that this was for the purpose of com- completing man's test. Now, the Arabic doesn't say man's test. It just says test. Baliyya, you know, comes from bala. And so it means test here. Istitmaman comes from tamam, which means to complete. So to complete the test, um, but it is very obvious, and the Mufassirin have said this, it's very obvious what is meant by the test is not shaitan's test, it's man's test. Shaitan failed his test. And Allah was going to destroy him anyway. He asked for respite, correct? And so if we know what's up with shaitan, what's going on with shaitan, when his test ended and all of that, then we, what we understand from this line, or this part of this line is, that is talking about a different test, not shaitan's test. test shaitan's test, you know, it happened and he failed. But it's speaking of humankind's test. If there's a shaitan in the picture, things get, for us as human beings, things get a little tougher, of course. The test gets harder. The test gets more complete for us, right? And so it's like a gym, brothers and sisters. When you go into a gym, there's not just one machine there. There's many machines. Allah has different ways of testing us. One of those ways is our nafs, our carnal desires, etc. But there's also someone else out there that also is part of the test for us. According to this, it's Iblis or Shaytan. Shaytan is part of the test. He completes the test. Now someone might get upset. Oh, why do we have so many tests? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will only test us to the amount that we can bear. That's how much responsibility we will have in life. And so Allah sees that within us, that even if Shaytan is an ex- extra test for us, we have what it takes to say no to him as well. Because at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, he can't force us. He can't force us to anything. He just whispers to us according to our literature. He whispers to us, we have 100% free will to do what we want, to make the right decisions and grow as a result. So if there's one more tool out there Allah can use to make us more complete, why not? And so shaitan is istitmaman lilbaliyya. Shaitan's respite was a completion of our test. We have enough to deal with, shaitan on top of that. Those who come out of this test, they are going to appreciate the fact that the shaitan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made shaitan part of the test. Now, I do want to open a parenthesis here. Some might say, oh, does that mean that Allah created shaitan from the get-go as a test for all of us? No. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created him just like every other jinn and mankind for the purpose of perfection for the purpose of securing eternal and and infinite felicity in the hereafter he failed his test once he fails his test and he's part of our lives yeah he can be a test for us just like yazid was a test for imam hussein just like other uh, villains throughout uh, the history of islam were tests for the righteous people of their contemporaries so this idea that oh why does allah put this why did allah do this to us or did allah create shaitan for this purpose allah didn't create him for this purpose but once he makes that mistakes goes down the wrong path that is when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say okay this is also something that we can use as a test for mankind now um you know if we 
even if assuming the impossible okay assuming the impossible there's no way that this is the case but if shaitan was to repent and even do such that to adam today okay let's just say then he became a righteous person again a righteous individual righteous jinn again he would no longer be part of the test anymore okay we have to understand that the fact that shaitan is part of our test doesn't make him forced to be evil as if god created him to be evil and he will be punished as a result so as i said this is a an impossible assumption here it's impossible that it would happen but all in all all in all even if we were to assume the impossible he won't be part of the test anymore so these are things to think about and uh, i don't have enough time to get into this in depth this you know is a theological discussion um, that we have discussed in other um, other uh, presentations of Mizan that brothers and sisters can go and watch on Shaitan. Uh, we've discussed it there more in depth. It's a theological discussion. I just gave you some clues here to think about. Inshallah, it shouldn't be a problem. وَإِنْجَازًا لِلْعِدَةِ إِنْجَازًا لِلْعِدَةِ It says here that the last reason or the third reason why Allah granted His wish of, Oh Allah, give me, grant me respite grant me uh, more life till the day they are resurrected it was for fulfilling the promise that allah had made to shaitan now there is discussion here what is meant by this promise but all in all i personally i'm more inclined towards what some of the mufassirin have said in this regard which is that look there is a promise allah has made through his immaculate mercy through his overflowing grace through his perfect justice that look, if I deal with you, I will deal with you at least in a just way, if not in, in, in a merciful way, but at least in a just way. And so if anyone has done anything good any time of their life, I'll make sure that they are compensated for. Okay. Now, shaitan, on the day of judgment, the last thing you want is for shaitan to turn around to Allah and say, hey, I, I worshipped you for thousands and thousands of years. And so where is the reward for that at least? Where's the compensation for that at least? Now someone might argue and say, yeah, but once you become kafir, once you turn away from Allah, all of the good deeds that you did will be rendered void and invalid. And so they won't help you anyway. But still, still, and we have this in our literature, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will make it up to anyone who's done any good. Usually though, before the Day of Judgment, Allah will make it up to them. Even sometimes we have literature that says, that, and we have hadith for this that says, that if uh, sometimes bad people will have a, a hard, an easy death, okay? They won't have a harsh and hard and painful death. Why? Because Allah wants to make it up to them in, that, in the life here, before they go to the barzakh and yawmul qiyamah, Allah wants to make it up to them here so that in the barzakh or day of judgment, they can't turn around and say, God, I did some good things. So where's my compensation for that? So in this life, Allah will compensate. Same thing they have said for shaitan. When shaitan says, Oh Allah, grant me respite till the day that they are resurrected. And Allah gives him that, grants him that wish, not completely, partially. We'll talk about that in a minute. When Allah grants him that, why is it? It is because injazan lil'ida. It's because of the promise, the promise of justice that Allah has made to all of us. That I will make sure none of your good deeds will go in vain. Okay, even though you don't deserve it anyway, because you know, with your turning away from me, none of your good deeds are good deeds anymore. But still, I will compensate. But it will happen here, not in the barzakh and yamul qiyamah. I will take care of it here. And so, Shaytan, of course, he had a lot of ibadah, a lot of worship of Allah subhanahu wa taala, many, 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 many years of that. 
Allah granted him many, many years of life. That's what he asked for. Okay, And so Allah, by doing this, fulfilled his promise. But, as I said, it was a partial fulfillment. Not Excuse me, not a partial fulfillment. It was a partial answer to the request of shaitan. He didn't 100% give shaitan what he asked for. And that's why it goes on. It says, فَقَالَ إِنَّكَ مِنَ الْمُنْظَرِينَ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْوَقْتِ الْمَعْلُومِ I grant your wish for respite. But the amount that you were asking for, I will not give it to you. I will give you life. I will allow you to do what you want to do until the day of the specified hour. There's a special time until that time you will have. And no more than that, brothers and sisters. This is important here. We sometimes might miss this point. He asked for the day of resurrection. Respite till the day of resurrection. Allah said, I will grant you respite, but not till the day of resurrection, until ma'lum, which translates to the day of the, um, the known hour, the specified hour. So we know from this that it's a specific time that some are aware of, at least maybe shaitan is aware of, Allah is aware of, of course, Maybe we're not aware of completely, but the Qur'an has spoken about this, has mentioned it. Al-Yawm al-Waqt al-Ma'loom. Yawm al-Waqt al-Ma'loom. Okay, so if it's in the Qur'an, we can see what the likes of Tawatabai, Allama Tawatabai, have said about this in their tafsir of Al-Mizan, for example. I'm just going to go over what he thinks. I'm not going to go to other Mufassirin here. He says, he goes, he does a lot of work there, and then he explains, or he does some work there, and then he explains some tafsiri work. And then says and draws the conclusion that what we do know is that this time is going to be a time. Let me read the Arabic here. الذي إنما يدل على كون يوم الوقت المعلوم الذي جعله الله غاية إنذار إبليس. This time that Allah has put as the deadline for Shaytan and him asking for respite is هو يوم يصلح الله سبحانه المجتمع الإنساني. It is a time that Allah will, at that, at that time, make better and reform the society of man. And as a result, that Allah reforms everything, fixes everything of human society in that time, fasad and corruption will cease to exist, and only Allah will be, none other than Allah will be worshipped. Okay, so Tabatabai, that's the conclusion he draws after he does his tafsir work. The conclusion he draws is that shaitan has been granted respite till a time that this happens, where human society will flourish, where human society will be reformed, and only Allah will be obeyed and worshipped. And some have um, very strongly said that this is the time of Imam Sahib al-Zaman and his dhuhur. Now exactly when in his dhuhur or when during his dhuhur, the beginning, middle, end, which which part of it, um, that's another discussion. But all in all, they've said this happens in the dhuhur of the 12th Imam alayhi salam farajahu sharif. So that is one of the, uh, I would say, more of the stronger opinions because it's Tabatabai's opinion. I personally um, respect him a lot and I look up to him as one of our greatest um, in, this, in the contemporary times of ours when it comes to tafsir. Okay, so... Regardless of what exactly, what we identify that time with, all we know is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted shaitan his wish, but partially, not fully. Apparently, shaitan wasn't deserving enough to be able to be granted respite till the day of resurrection, or there's a theological impediment to that. 
and Allah cannot give, not that cannot give because his power is limited, but all in all, there will be some theological ramifications to that. Once again, these are theological discussions we don't want to get into right now. All we know is that he has granted time to, to the deadline of that time is going to be before the day of resurrection, whenever that is. And some, as I said, have their opinions on that, when that time exactly is. Now, two points before I end. Um, from this part and this excerpt of this khutbah. Number one, brothers and sisters, it just shows, this whole story shows how great humankind is. And uh, to the point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, tells his angels to prostrate to Adam alayhi salam. Now, someone might say, but the prostration wasn't a prostration of worship. It was a prostration of reverence. It was a prostration of honor, giving honor and honoring something or somebody. And that is true, but still, <laughs> it still shows that that thing that you are prostrating towards is still a great thing. For example, no one worships the Kaaba itself. The Kaaba itself is just a cube, yes, of made of stone or whatever it is. But the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to prostrate in that direction gives the Kaaba a lot of respect. Yes, and today there is no one out there of the Muslim Ummah who would ever doubt the greatness of the Kaaba. Okay, so same thing here. And as a matter of fact, we do have some hadiths as well that I want to share with you. It says, Kana sujuduhum lillahi ta'ala ubudiyatan. Yes, the prostration of the angels was out of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wali adama ikraman. Although it was um, out of obedience to Allah, but it was also out of honor and honoring uh, Adam It was out of honor and obedience. Why? Because us Ahlul Bayt, we're going to be descendants of this Adam And it's also interesting that we have another hadith that uh, compares the sajda of Ya'qub to the sajda of the angels. It says, uh, in this hadith is by Imam al-Rada It says, أَمَّا سُجُودُ يَعْقُوبُ وَوُلْدِهِ فَإِنَّهُ لَمْ يَكُلْ لِيُوسُفُ that this sajda they did wasn't for Yusuf himself. It was out of obedience to Allah. But at the same time, it was out of honoring Yusuf as well. Okay. And greeting Yusuf. Here, tahiyya usually means to greet, but in this context, probably means to, to show respect, to honor, and so on. The same way. The sajda of the angels was for Adam salam. So these two are comparable. Now the last, the, the second point that I want to make here is, uh, or lesson that we draw from this story, is the danger of things like jealousy. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to go through this really quickly. You've probably heard, we've all heard this before, how dangerous jealousy can become. In the story of shaitan, jealousy is so dangerous, he gives away everything of his afterlife. As a result of the jealousy. Jealousy, can, if we're not careful about it, can push us to the point that we act very, very dumb. And we totally irrational. Shaytan has to now argue with God that I'm better than Adam because I'm out of fire. Please, I want us to compare what Shaytan says here to what the likes of Imam al-Sajjad say. Okay? The likes of Shaytan are arguing with Allah they tell Allah, Oh Allah, I'm out of fire. You made me out of fire. You made Adam out of clay. And so of course, clay can never be compared to fire. Fire is higher than clay. When we look at Imam Sajjad when Allah, when he is speaking to Allah, he doesn't even talk about these things. He acknowledges one thing, that Oh Allah, you are everything. The rest of us, we're all nothing. Whether I am in 
a ma'soom even. At the end of the day, I am a creation of yours. If I am a mumkinul wujud, as they call it, if I am a creation of yours, then I am the lowest of the low. Yes, amongst the creation of Allah, the Imams, the Ma'sumin, the Holy Prophet ﷺ, they are the highest of them all, of course. There's no doubt about that. But that is when we're compared to each other. Compared to Allah, all of us are at the lowest level. There is no difference. <laughs> we're all mumkin no wujud Allah is wajibul wujud Very simple. So the likes of Imam Sajjad, when they're speaking to Allah, you know what they say? They say, Ana aqallul aqalin. I am the lowest of the low. But Imam Sajjad, you're the highest of the high. He says, yeah, compared to others. But when it comes to Allah, there is no conversation there. Now shaitan though, doesn't do this. This guy, what he does is, because jealousy has overtaken him, becomes super irrational, talking about, I'm better, this is better, that's... Who cares? We know, okay, amongst yourselves, whatever. Who's higher, who's lower, whatever. We're talking to Allah here. There's a command of Allah right now in the equation, in the picture. In this context, you're supposed to say, Ana aqallul aqallin. I am the lowest of the low. Whatever you say, O oh Allah, I accept. But does he do that? He doesn't do that. The mistake he makes is that he starts coming out with arguments and arguing as if with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? This is all the result of jealousy. We have to be careful about that. We have to address this. If a person doesn't work on themselves, brothers and sisters, isn't careful, this, these things can take over. That's why we have to be always in a state of diligence, or excuse me, of vigilance, and being careful that we constantly remind ourselves that the akhirah is what matters. The akhirah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His satisfaction, that the nafs is, very, is, 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 the most, is the most dangerous thing to us. And our ukhrawi interests, we have to keep reminding ourselves this. Keep trying to be, be obedient. Keep trying to be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To remind ourselves that He's the most important one. The rest, who cares? If we're able to give enough importance and priority to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, jealousy won't make its way into our existence, inshallah. Because we already care about one thing and one thing only, and that's Allah Himself. We're always fighting our nafs anyway. And so now the nafs says, oh, look at so-and-so, look at so-and-so. Who cares? Allah gave that person something, didn't give me. Fine, whatever. Allah's in the picture. That's all that matters to me. I am in total submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when the jealousy takes over, brothers and sisters, it reaches a point where you are fooled. We are fooled by our own logic our own irrational arguments sometimes that we think are rational, but all they're doing is just satisfying that jealousy that is, has been set ablaze in us. Let us be very, very careful about that. All that matters is total submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it reaches a point where some have even said that shaitan, he still has the chance. Subhanallah. He still has the chance or had the chance when he, when he didn't prostrate to Adam. He had the chance to do tawbah and repent to Allah and still prostrate to Adam. Yet he didn't. So he knows he made a mistake, but instead of asking Allah for forgiveness for the mistake, he knows that if he asks for forgiveness, Allah is going to say, no problem, I forgive you. I want you to prostrate now though. Because there's a chance, or he's sure that Allah is going to ask him that still, till today, as I said, he has not repented, and it's impossible for him repent to repent all the way till, and I don't even know if his repentance today will make a difference for him. He had the chance back then, before Adam had been sent down to this world, to repent, but after all these centuries of misguiding people and sending them to Jahannam, I don't think his repentance would make him make a difference now. But the point I want to make here is beyond that. The point I'm trying to make is that, who knows, maybe he can even repent, but this jealousy is so great and so dangerous, the lesson we're taking from this is that sometimes it'll cause us to do irrational things 
and not even make up for them when we have the opportunity to make up for them. We seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from this hamiyyah, from this takabbur, which is actually just all jahiliyyah, it is all nafs. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to understand what the priorities in our life really are, which is which are the akhirah and which are Allah's satisfaction. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank mm-hmm. you.